Hello, welcome back to another dispatch from Holly McKay. We're going back to Afghanistan, and this time we're going to go to Afghanistan to talk about Afghan women and life with the Taliban. Holly, how are you doing today, and what's up with uh, this story? Well, it's hard to kind of believe. It's really been almost a year since the uh, the Taliban took over and the U.S. Um, pulled out, which the anniversary to that will be next month. Um, so obviously in that year, a lot has, has really changed. And I think uh, in Afghanistan, the future is probably most grim and for the women. Um, a lot of what we sort of saw before the government and after, I mean, you could arguably say, you know, life, men are able to continue to work. Um, the economy is obviously really bad, um, but generally they are still able to kind of get on with the daily life as it's always been in Afghanistan. Whereas the women, it's it's certainly uh, a very different set of challenges that they are facing under the Taliban rule. So I spoke to a lot of women and many of them who I know personally from my time there, just to kind of get their take on uh, on what happened and and life now. And uh, I wrote this story for the New York Post. Um, I'll give you some anecdotes there. Uh, Cyrus Saleem is someone that I have known since before the fall. Um, she's now a 23-year-old journalist and she's based in Jalalabad. Um, and she's someone that I was in contact with a lot sort of during the fall. And, and she was very frightened and, and trying to look for a way out very desperately. Um, but a year in, it certainly seems as if she hasn't been able Able to get out and I think she's kind of resigned herself really to the fact that that she kind of has to stay put in Afghanistan at the moment uh, she's no longer working as a journalist but rather continuing to do some mental health counseling for an NGO that's working there um, and you know her take on it that was before the US left that life was good that they participated in the government they were able to work in every field now it's really hard to work outside without harassment uh, she says that women can't attend university unless they do wear that full burqa and that the humanitarian situation is just really bad so she's just kind of one of many going through a, a very difficult time Mm. So it sounds like all the hopes and uh, of, of participating in Afghanistan after the fall last year that were part of demonstrations that were going on in the immediate aftermath of it have pretty much settled down. And it, from nearest your description, it's going back to the days of the Taliban before their first fall in uh, the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, the really the biggest injustice, if you will, is the fact that a year in that that girls beyond the age of I think it's grade six have not been able to go back to public schools. Um, and that really is just a travesty that's been. A, and then with COVID, you know, you're looking at half the, the young population in Afghanistan is a very Afghanistan is a very young country half of this population are being uneducated. So that is that is just, it's squashing women's hopes. It's squashing their dreams. It's um, just sort of a terrible thing that just keeps dragging on. And you keep having different members of the Taliban come out and say, oh, next week they'll go, this week they'll go. And then when it push comes to shove, it doesn't happen. However, I do think it's really important to also note that the Taliban is not this one singular entity. It is an incredibly divided organization. And you have... Um, you know, and one major group being the Kandaharis and another major group being the Haqqanis and then all sorts of uh, different uh, divisions from that in the middle. Um, 
so what you're sort of seeing is is a lot of um, sort of cultural and religious uh, dogma or disagreements uh, right at the forefront there. And there are a lot of people, uh, leaders within the Taliban itself that are really trying to push for girls to go back to school. And, and one very senior Taliban person who has been very, you know, saying to the media, you know, highlight this issue because, um, you know, this isn't right. And, and so you have the Taliban within the Taliban um, that are still advocating for girls. Um, but unfortunately, that hasn't come to any fruition. So it is it's just a really sad sort of situation. Um, you're looking at female news anchors that are being forced to, to cover up on air. Um, a lot of women can still go to their jobs, but they are a lot of the jobs have really just disappeared because of the economy and because all the, the government and NGO um, has really left. But in addition to that, you know, there are things that that women can still do, but a lot of it is really being attributed to um, just a really, really horrible economy and humanitarian situation. And it really is always women that are largely or mostly affected by these things. Uh, well, um, when you talk to these women, do they, is it just as, it, it sounds like a situation of despair. So the, 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 do they see any light coming out of it for themselves? Uh, I mean, you know, not what the men are saying, because that, that 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 can go on forever and it's all talk. And clearly there are hardliners there that go all the way back to the uh, no girl over the age of eight should receive an education theory. But, mm. um, uh, you know, do these women see any hope in the future for them? Uh, uh, or is it just- I think late, it's tough. I mean, of course- you know, you might find some women that maybe their businesses, you know, that I've talked to, their businesses run from home or um, they're able to, you know, maybe they do have a foreign passport but are choosing to stay. So you tend to hear a little bit more hope from those women. But really largely it's it's just um, now that, that that sort of shock and awe has worn off, um, it's sort of just a scramble of, of really what comes next and how do we try to make this work. And um, it's also important to note that whilst the Taliban does sort of say that it has a burqa mandate, um, you hear a lot of different anecdotes as to how much it is really enforced. Um, some will say, you know, that they are harassed if they're going through a checkpoint or, um, you know, are too far from home um, on their own without a male escort. And a lot of them have sort of said that that has, has caused problems with the Taliban, whereas others have sort of said um, it hasn't and, and they sort of just keep their head low and keep going. So I think it's sort of individual, individual, depending on what Taliban that you happen to come across um, and sort of individual on where really you're looking at geography as well. The Taliban in in one province um, is going to be considerably different to a Taliban in a different province. Um, so for example, uh, provinces where there is a big Hazara population, which is the Shia minority um, in Afghanistan, they continuing to go to school and have largely continued to go to school um, you know, since the fall. So it's not every single province, but provinces like Kabul, uh, which is the sort of the headquarters of the Taliban, the capital, um, they've being you know shut out from going to public schools there so it is very fragmented and it is um sort of very individual um but you know as one afghan uh, filmmaker described it it's really like living under the law of the jungle um and in their purview that, that they felt that everything was broken that there is no hope there is no freedom um and they're they're sort of living under this constant fear that they're going to be imprisoned for doing something wrong at any moment mm, well 
That's a pretty bleak picture, a year, uh, just about a year anniversary into the withdrawal of the United States from its influence in Afghanistan. And pretty bleak one. I, uh, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I, I, I don't see much hope in, in this at the moment. Um, you know, I just hope that, that it will sort of get to a point where, um, unfortunately, you know, it's very difficult. Unfortunately, the West at some point is going to have to realize that the Taliban is the government, uh, whether we like that or not. The US supported government fled the country um, and enabled sort of the Taliban to very sort of seamlessly come in last August. Um, so, for better or for worse, that is the reality and you know afghans have really suffered enough and at what point um is the us going to or you know the western world really going to uh, have to recognize this uh taliban as legitimate government and and recognize the ways in which the people you know can be helped from an economic and and humanitarian standpoint um but it, you know it also we have to also consider that we as U.S. taxpayers and, and, um, and the, the many men and women who've served the country have already devoted so much time and money really to this country. And so um, on one hand, it's, you know, terribly sad what's happened. And on the other hand, I think there also is a sense of, of being jaded and, and how much more can we sort of be expected to do or, you know, we can really nitpick at the issue. I don't think there is one uh, foolproof solution, but uh, certainly it's it's tough times. Yeah, well, it sounds like the legacy or the, yeah, the, uh, the dark legacy of the land known as the graveyard of empires continues and uh thank you holly uh, uh, not the not the not the the brightest story today but uh certainly an important one to keep track of so until next time let's not not forget afghanistan at least you know we we have to remember the stories and and remember the situation and it's not something that i want to see fall into a dark void yes definitely Okay, well, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.